Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. I'm Illegal86. I'm here as always with my very good friends, Tactic and Nerd Bomber, fighting off the lack of daylight. That's that's been the story of the past week for me. I feel like it probably has been for you guys too. I always Weirdly, forget how tired it makes me. My sleep schedule, I feel like, has been more in line with the world because my body feels like I'm going to bed later and also like I'm waking up later. So like on this weekend and last weekend, I've been waking up at like 9.30. Typically, like I'm groggy at 9.30, but I'm like waking up naturally at 9.30 while rested. And it's great because my body's like, yo, it's like 10.30. You slept in. Good for you. I think what you need is to live closer to the equator. That's that's uh, like you just need more sunshine. When the sun comes up, you're like, okay, this is time. I don't know if that's it because I like I'm also feeling tired at a time when everyone else now feels like it's appropriate to go to bed. Like I'm getting tired at like eleven thirty, twelve o'clock because in my brain still it's like, oh, it's twelve thirty, one o'clock. This is your time, and I'm like, yes, this is my time. When did you fall asleep last night? Personal question. Last night was a Saturday. Last night we so were up. We were watching want. a movie and like had a later night. So we went to bed around like two. Woof. But That's... that was just because we were up. Like we watched a movie. We played a little bit of Rocket League. Like it was the weekend. But like throughout the week, I've been going to bed closer to like eleven thirty, which is different for me. Normally, I, I can't even think about going to sleep until midnight because I just will lay there and not sleep. Last night, I pulled out all the stops and was like, "I'm staying up," and I believe I fell asleep at eleven forty-five. Like, I just can't. I can't. Are you okay? I feel like you need, you have like some sort of sleepy syndrome where you're just sleepy. I think that's possible. I, yeah, maybe I have like a high thyroid disorder or something. I have no idea, but it's, <laughs> well, it's like, fine. During the week, don't you go to bed like at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock? Isn't that your, your typical call time? I, I, I like the phrase call time. Typically, I'm getting, I'm getting into bed or angling to get into bed around 10. Typically, I'm putting my phone down and going to sleep around 10.30, 10.45. And I'm getting up at like 6, 6.30. So, so how many hours of eight. sleep? That's eight hours. Wow. I got a tight eight. It, it feels like eight longer hours, Like what the doctors recommend. That's like a... That's like yeah, a he's going to live longer than you. Conventional that's wisdom. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live longer, but I don't know if I'm going to like it. Yeah, no, I last night, I, I got into bed at like 10.30. Yeah, I did that on purpose. And I put on a, a movie called Remember the Titans because I was like, I want to watch a movie that I've seen already and isn't going to surprise me and it's going to be like generally good vibes. And at 11.45, the movie obviously wasn't over and it was like entering the pivotal point of the movie. And I was just like, I cannot stay awake anymore. So I fell asleep with it on and I'm not proud of that, to be honest with you. But it happened. And, you know, I know how I remember the Titans ends. I know the gist. Pretty good movie, though. It kind of holds up. I don't know if you guys have watched That's This isn't a What Are You Up To Wednesday. I just, like, kind of happened to turn it on. But it was, like, yeah, it was it was, it was, was good. It was fun. About as fun as a movie with that subject matter. Do you be. remember them or no? I I didn't remember them, but then I turned the movie on, and probably, like, five minutes in, I was You're like, like, oh, I yeah, that's them. the Titans. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, <laughs> it was a good experience for me. We're going to be talking about a couple of movies today. Or actually, I don't know if this first thing is a tv show or a movie you guys will be able to tell me because it's much more in your lane than mine but we'll be talking about inside out 2 got a trailer for that generally that's speaking, definitely a movie. There were, well that's definitely a movie the avatar the last airbender i would assume it's a show i actually yes, show. it is okay we're going to talk about that too generally speaking as kind of a an over for all these topics the sag after strike ended last week and I don't know if it was just a coincidence, but it feels like the strike ended and then Hollywood at large was like, here's a billion things and trailers and like actors can now promote things again. So like 
I feel like there was a new Ghostbusters trailer that we're like not talking about. And that was, I don't know if it was an active choice that we made, but it just didn't get picked this week. And that was another thing. There's just like, there's a lot of things happening right now. Well, there was even an entire like unquote back Netflix geek week with a bunch of trailers and stuff that we just didn't make the cut. Yeah. Damsel. Did you guys watch the trailer for Damsel? We did watch that. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it. Well, maybe talk about it now for like a minute. She didn't look too distressed. I will say she seemed like she had things under control for most of it, but there were parts where it—I I would say she was in distress. But the whole point is that she's not right. That's like it's like a subversion kind of thing. I actually really liked the the concept of like all of these. At least this is what it seemed to be implying from the trailer that like they actually sacrifice damsels so that like the kingdom can save them and feel good about themselves or something like that. And she's just like, nah, I'm going to be a badass and save myself. See, I didn't. It's funny watching that trailer. It made me feel like they sacrificed her on purpose. See, I don't know if that's what I I thought it was more. So it's like you have to go here and fight all these things. I I, I didn't take it as you have to go here and get sacrificed. Yeah, that is what it was. I got I got a Wonder Woman vibe where, you know, you know, if if you know how well, if you know how Wonder the Amazonians, they're all like, we need to rise to the challenge and go through these trials and tribulations to come out better on the other side. That's the vibe that I got. I got the vibe that Robin Wright, who incidentally was also in Wonder Woman, like Robin Wright and Angela Bassett, I feel like they they went through the same stuff as Millie Bobby Brown is now going through, right? I, I don't know. We it's, It was one of those trailers where like, it was in some sense kind of a mishmash of a lot of footage that like the story itself was not made clear. I, I don't know if it's like a typical thing where like that was a quote unquote teaser trailer and the quote unquote theatrical trailer is going to like tell us more. All right. So I'm doing I'm doing some wiki research. There are a total of two sentences to describe the premise. A dutiful damsel nice. agrees to marry a handsome prince only to discover it was all a trap. The royal family recruited her as a sacrifice to repay an ancient debt. She is then thrown into a cave with a fire breathing dragon, having to solely rely on her wits and will to survive. That sounds okay, so sacrifice situation. Yeah. That's what well, say that it used the word sacrifice. That's interesting. I didn't I guess I took away something different from the trailer, but that's that's to my detriment, I suppose. Anyways, that yeah, like you said, that was part of a geeked week from netflix that there were other things in there but the thing that we have chosen to discuss is avatar the last airbender you guys know avatar long running animated series very bad m night have you guys ever watched the m night movie because i know you guys are big avatar fans i heard it was a bane yeah i heard it was just like a a blight i guess on the avatar ip so i did not watch that because why would i do that to myself came out in well according to google 2010 but i don't know if that's actually true i guess it might be i i think it's right off the bat i will say i think it's very bold of netflix to try again like i I guess i don't know i don't know a whole lot about the m night Shyamalan movie like were the movie's problems execution-based problems or were they problems with translating it from you know an animated format to a live action format maybe you guys can speak more to that but like we've seen a lot of things maybe not so much recently but a lot of things try to make that transition and and fail right like do we know how one piece is doing is it doing okay? It's doing well, yeah. It got renewed for a second season, I believe. It's, it's okay. Yeah, people. It's being well received because it came out and I stopped hearing about it. But that was probably. I mean, Netflix at this point, I think, knows better than to suggest it to me to, to like watch it. So it just didn't, and I just kind of like it fades into the nether for me, and I don't know anything about it. But oh, okay, good for One Piece. Yeah, obviously Netflix made a huge investment in that. They're making what looks like a very sizable investment in Avatar: The Last Airbender. So we got a trailer for this. You know minute and a half two minute trailer from what i remember and i know that it said february 22nd i believe of next year is when is when 
some number of episodes drop i don't know if they're dropping the whole first season at once we tend to not know with stuff like this i think netflix tends to drop yeah netflix usually does like entire season drops at a time yeah it, i guess it, it depends on the format right because they're the reality stuff they will often do chunks of like three or four episodes over a course of several weeks but with full-fledged fictional series like this i'm guessing they're going to drop an entire season at once so you, again i'm going to turn it over to you guys you guys are the experts on avatar the last airbender what did you see that excited you what did you see that concerned you if anything uh, in, in, in what we saw so for me, like one of the big reasons that the M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong version of the adaptation didn't work was because he took too many creative liberties and changed too many things from the original base material. And I think what people who are looking for a live action remake of the show want to see is basically a faithful adaptation. The show, the animated series at least, did really well for a reason. It had great storytelling, great character development, wonderful character arcs and story arcs, and the way that things and details all tied together like there was just a lot of love and attention to detail put into the creation of the original animated series and i think that's what people want to see that basically just recreated with live action actors and at least from this trailer it seems like that's what netflix is going to do they're not going to try to change the story they're not going to you know one of the big things is condense a four season show into an hour and a half movie they're actually going to do it justice and give in the series format this show the time and care that the storyline deserves and even like a lot of the casting i know there were some you know internet discourse about the casting but i think everything cohesively in this trailer seemed like they did a really good job, you know, made sure that it carried the spirit and intention of the original animated show. And I was really excited to see Appa, both the big, you know, flying bison and Appa from King's Convenience, Kim's Convenience. Okay, so that's a do- that's a bison. It looks like a dog to me. I was getting like never ending story vibes again, having basically no exposure bison. to Avatar. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, my... Again, uneducated take on this. You know, we've talked a lot about Netflix and what lane Netflix should be in, what lanes, plural, I guess they should be in. We've talked a lot about these big budget movies they make that kind of go nowhere. The Killer came out this past weekend. I have not watched it yet, but that may be the latest example of that. With series, right, it's not It's not so much the same thing. Like, obviously, Stranger Things is one of their single most successful properties. One Piece, as you said, just got renewed for season two. I'm sure there are other examples of you know, very big budget, very high production value series that they've made that have been very successful. I look at this and I see a very, very big bet that it will work. I don't, uh, I don't think it's a bet. I think going with what Nerd Bomber said, I think if you stick, stay true to the story, which is, which is what it appears they're doing, it's going to do well. The problem that I did see was the there's a lot of there's there's Appa, there's Momo, there's there's the fish spirits, there's all of these larger than life creations and creatures that are going to have to be CGI. And then in the trailer, what we saw was very rough looking CGI. They need to divert those action movie film funds into improving and honing the CGI because having that look very janky, we, we, we don't want an Avengers third eye situation with, you remember how Doctor Strange looked like someone crayola a third do. eye on us? We don't, we don't want that. We can't afford to have that in this. And we don't want something as silly as just taking the time to really hone the craft to undersell the value that this story has. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable concern. I mean, I think in general, and again, Stranger Things being an exception, like CGI and TV tends to be less good. And I don't know, 
is it just because there's more volume of potentially more volume of things to be cgi than in an hour and a half movie if you have like a 10 episode series that has a lot of things that need to be cgi is it just that they're operating on a similar schedule to a movie but they have more to do i i don't you know vfx artists who listen to this podcast you know reach out to us and tell us but like i think generally speaking that tends to be an affliction of of series relative to movies so i i go back to movie making and filmmaking and creating as a whole and what we've done with cgi as a crutch right you you go back 10 years they they had cgi but they also had a lot of real props so that it, it it pulled some of the load away from the cgi and and made it a balance of the two to make it work and make it a reasonable i guess budget if they did something like yeah. that it might offload some of the heavy lifting there's a lot of you know oppas in the background oppas you know not super close where you can get away with a prop it doesn't need to be him on the forefront super animated so while he was a good part of the story he's not I mean, there's a whole like season where he's away. He gets kidnapped. Yeah. I mean, I I think you make a really good point, you know, and there's incidentally, you know, outside of discussion about this show, I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter lately about like, man, CGI used to be so good. Like in particular, I see Pirates of the Caribbean thrown around a lot as like when early 2000 CGI peaked in quality. And as you said, wasn't really, it wasn't being used. The technology had, you know, fully evolved into what it could be. So it was technologically, it was where it needed to be, but it wasn't yet being used as a crutch. They were still combining CGI with physical sets. You know, now we've moved on to things like the quote unquote volume that we hear about all the time in Star Wars shows. They've moved on to things where if they don't know how to make something practically, they just CGI it. Right. And that that drains a lot of movie magic that could otherwise exist from something, maybe something like I've tried the last airbender. But it's I think it's interesting. I don't know how we get back to, this is a larger point, but like, I don't know how we get back to like, quote unquote, good CGI. And again, this is not necessarily me crapping on VFX artists. Like, it's more so me crapping on VFX artists being horribly overworked and directors and producers probably making unreasonable demands about what it can and should do, right? So I think it's a a very good, you know, broader point to bring up with respect to this show. But, you know, I, I do think that going back to The Last Airbender, like, this is something that the animated series is on Netflix, right? And has been for a while. Like, didn't you guys watch it on Netflix? I think it might have moved over to Peacock, but it was on Netflix at one point and now it is somewhere else. Maybe Paramount. It's on a streaming service. You can watch it somewhere. It's it's a good example of something that, you know, it has an existing fan base. The show was on for four seasons, so fans probably feel like they would like to get more out of the IP. And this may be a way for Netflix to to deliver that and to immediately pick up an existing fan base without having to do a whole lot of work. Well, I think the cool thing, I think this could bring in like new people as well, because one of the things, and I even fell into this trap for a while and tactic calls me on this all the time. All the time. I, you know, I don't always love animated stuff. It like, in terms of like serious series, I have a lot of issues. Sometimes like they just feel a little bit too janky or over the top when they're animated because, you know, you're not confined to the limits of the real world. So sometimes I feel the same way. I still feel that way. Cartoons can feel and like animated stuff can just feel a little extra. And one of the things that Avatar did really well and people who don't like animated shows won't give it a chance just on the merit of it being animated is it is a very grounded show for all of the fantastical elements in the show and the story it is a very grounded show you never really like there is some humor built in obviously it's it started on nickelodeon it was intended for kids in a mixed audience but overall it is a very grounded show and i think you know drawing it into 
an real life action format might bring more people in because I do think there is a really rich story, a really rich world here. And there's a reason why everybody who ends up watching the show, even if they're not super sold on animated format to begin with for serious storytelling, like they end up falling in love with it, myself included. So if more people can be exposed to this story in this world and it's live action format, I'm super excited because like I said, it's a very rich world, rich story, great characters. And- I have a holistic PSA. If, if you want to watch cartoons that have like profound writing, really the late like the early 2000s, late 90s to like 2010 window of cartoon animators and like cartoon story writers were on just some other level. They were really trying to be profound. I mean, they're X-Men, Batman, Teen Titans, Avatar, all of these shows. Just check those out. They were trying to elevate the medium and, and you know, we're going to talk about Inside, Two, Inside Out 2 after this. And like, I really do think, at least for American audiences, I think Pixar did a lot for adults watching animated content cartoons whatever you want to call it like i think probably a lot of animators saw what pixar had done and decided you know there's room for adult viewers in this medium you know like you, you i think you can say the same thing about like all the animated cartoons that are explicitly for adults like i mean rick and morty i would say is an adult centered show and like lots of stuff on adult swim same sort of thing like animation i think did experience a boon around the time you're describing of like hey we can bring in adult viewers and you know cartoons can take on quote-unquote mature themes with some with some finesse so i totally agree i also like i kind of to wrap up on the last airbender too like when you say live action show that you know has fantasy slash fantastical elements but is really focused on you know inter-character dynamics and, and good storytelling and strong characters like i think game of thrones like i'm not necessarily making that direct comparison i don't think it's an apt comparison necessarily to make if only because game of thrones also had like crazy adult themes but i think on that merit alone this this is a potentially winning formula you know it, it's it's drawing from strong source material and i, I think like it has a very good shot if people can get beh- like over the fact that the main characters are all young I think a lot of people, obviously, like you said, it's not the same vibe of Game of Thrones, but I feel like for new viewers who aren't, they don't have a history with the show, they don't know what it's about. If they can get over that hurdle that the main cast is very young, I feel like this could be a cultural like zeitgeist sort of deal. I, I definitely agree. I think that's a major roadblock. I mean, how old even is the main character? I mean, technically very old, but um, no. What it, oh, okay. In the animated show, he's what, like eight or something like that? tactic uh there was nine but yeah technically he's 109 <laughs> it puts things into a weird a weird zone you're right we're like it's not it's definitely not trying to be a show for kids but the main character is a kid like how many things can you think of that are successful that kind of follow that formula stranger and like, things. i think it's stranger things stranger is things is one, one of the few yeah and even like, like game of thrones did to a degree if you look at some of the characters especially like in the very beginning oh like they were in the books they're super young yeah yeah like Arya stark is like nine or something i think it's really around the same age when the first book happens so yeah you, you can again draw back to or go back to that to see how it can be done successfully but and i'm not saying the last airbender should try and do what game of thrones did or try to be game of thrones i just think it's in some senses in similar territory so again february 22nd 2024 that will come out on netflix potentially a whole season will drop at once so i don't know set your cal- set your calendars let's talk about inside out too you know i mentioned that 
a couple minutes ago i mentioned we were going to be talking about it and we got a trailer for this that was this one was particularly short about a minute and a half long for the most part we saw we heard a lot of the same music we saw a lot of the same characters the real like touch point here to be discussed and kind of the thing that's being discussed on the internet right now is the introduction of a new emotion anxiety voiced by maya hawk i think i did read at some point there are going to be a couple of other new emotions but i know that anxiety is kind of the headliner and for good reason you know i I, as someone who has been off the pixar train for a while the past few pixar movies i haven't even watched the last one i watched i think was soul and it was like fine but it didn't like knock my socks off i i i'm gonna be getting back on the train for inside out too like both because inside out is one of my favorite pixar movies it's maybe number one it's definitely top three but also because i know a thing or two about anxiety (laughs) like and i i think like i think that choice is extremely astute by pixar like i think you're gonna get a lot of viewers like me who are like oh man i want to see what pixar has to say about anxiety like inside out had so much had so many profound things to say about emotions and how we experience emotions especially when we're young and even at the age i was at i didn't like soul okay i shouldn't i shouldn't say i didn't like it but like it was not nearly as good it is definitely on the lower end of my pixar rankings if those were to exist but i just like I, i think inside out had a lot of profound things to say i think it did a very good job saying them and i would like to think that if they're making an inside out too it's because they have more to say and specifically they have more to say about the role of anxiety in how we experience emotions what the strength of those emotions are how they can come out of nowhere like there's a lot of meat on this bone i think anxiety is is just the trailer to get you interested like it's doing right now i think what they're really trying to show you is as we age we become more complex we're not just happy sad depressed envious whatever we become this like i think it's going to ultimately wrap up with basically a community size worth of emotions all working together to to bring you this complicated beautiful person well yeah and, and you know the end of the first movie essentially led to that message too spoiler alert but like the message of the first movie was that these emotions are not you know they're not diametrically opposed like you can experience moments that are both happy and sad and they can become core memories for you and that's important and you know there's a spectrum of emotion that was if, if i were to try to summarize what the quote-unquote message of the first movie was that's what i would say it is for all i know this movie may say the same thing in a different way but i think with more emotions to do so it has a really really good chance to to do that in a way that's even more meaningful what i find interesting is the introduction of anxiety as a separate emotion because in a way and again as someone who has anxiety i mean and they did kind of maybe address this by anxiety kind of referring to themselves as we but Anxiety is nothing more than a mixture of all of the individual emotions that already existed within that universe. So I'm curious to see, especially because they made a point in the first movie where you see inside the parent's head and they have the same set of emotions, more or less. And so I'm curious to see how they're going to pivot and show like, oh, now you have this conglomeration of basically all of you guys as one emotion. I'm also, to play devil's advocate... Um, So Inside Out was not one of my favorite Pixar movies. I thought that it was a little bit too intentional trying to, you know, play on your heartstrings and get you to feel sad. And it kind of was a little bit too overt. One of the things that I really enjoyed about earlier Pixar movies is how they had very important adult themes, but it was a little bit more subversive. Like it wasn't knocking you over the head with, hey, you're going to be sad and it's okay to be sad, which is kind of what Inside Out I felt 
did a little bit. And I'm a little bit worried that, you know, calling out anxiety, like it's going to be a little bit too knocking me over the head with, hey, anxiety is here and that is okay. And I'm a little not as excited about this one for that reason, just because like I know a lot of people love Inside Out and it it was not a bad movie by any means. It's just not one of my favorites because I prefer my themes to be a little subversive and I'm just worried that it's going to be too in my face. And I don't know if I'm even going to love that because as someone who does experience anxiety on a day to day, I feel like I don't need that. I know the message. It's not good. (laughs) It's a perfectly reasonable, like, I think, I think that's a really strong take on what the first movie did and what it was trying to do is like, it is not subtextual at all. But like in other ways, like, and you know, I think it's just what kind of scratches the edge for me. Like, I would also say that I think maybe my favorite Pixar movie, which is Up, that movie is also not very subtextual. It's just like, we're going to make you feel sad and we're going to do it really well. And but I feel like, like oh, Up, five minutes in, the wife died. Oh, it's so sad. Like, it's just, it's not. Up was really good in that I don't think it did necessarily hit you that much in the face. I think it showed the character's journey and growth. And I felt like the difference between Up and Inside Out is that, you know, you're the man in question doesn't realize that he has to evolve and it takes this journey to evolve. Whereas I feel like in Inside Out, it was just a little, like I said, too, it wasn't as well, Joy. I mean, Joy certainly evolves throughout Inside Out to understand the importance of, of sadness in Riley's life. Like, I, I think there's a similar path of, of character evolution, but I, I do get your point where, like, I think just because Inside Out is... A, a movie where the characters are emotions they can talk about emotion and they can express emotional concepts to the audience in a way that's significantly more frank and just bare bones and like yeah there's not a whole lot of subtext to it ever and, and so if you don't yeah if, if you're not into that sort of thing then that's i think that's perfectly reasonable and yeah if you weren't into that you probably won't be into inside out too either and i do agree with you that i think there there is some potential i don't think the first movie did this but like I think especially talking about anxiety, which is like a burgeoning mental health disorder that we're like all becoming more and more aware of by the day. Like, you know, in the 90s, anxiety barely existed. And now it's like, you know, culturally pervasive. I think they have an opportunity to get preachy about it, which I would like for them to not do. So I I can understand that reticence as well. I just I don't I don't, I guess my response to all of your complaints is that they're very reasonable. I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to see it. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not I think trying I'm really to prevent like you too. from seeing it. I, it's more like just presenting an alternative viewpoint. Um, yeah, which I definitely appreciate because it, it's, I think I'm just so like, that. I, I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie just be like, and it's, these things are so situational, right? Like I may have seen the first one after I'd had a bad day or something and it just like really hit me hard and in the right way. And maybe the second one won't, even though it's going to be a very similar movie. So I just think if if I'm going to get on the Pix back back on the Pixar train, it's probably going to be with a movie like this. So I do intend to see it. I don't know. This will probably be a Disney Plus for me. I don't think I'm going to go to the theater to see it. If only because one time, mini story, I saw a Toy Story four by myself. This was back when I had AMC Plus or whatever. Shout out to AMC. And I went uh, to a Sunday matinee, and I was like sitting by myself and just surrounded by children. And it was not a good feeling. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong I, with that. I recommend that. it. Embrace your inner there's child. Nothing, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But like, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite movie going experience. I could tell you that much. So yeah, I'll probably watch this on Disney Plus. Truthfully, and not to case, like go yeah. into an offshoot here, but I don't get me wrong. I do like the theater experience. And like, we haven't really gone to theater theaters, but we've more so gone to like drive-ins lately. But there is something to be said. And this is something that I feel like COVID really did for me. I do appreciate watching movie premieres at home. 
like I like to see sometimes the first like the first time I watch a movie, I kind of like being at home. I can pause and go to the bathroom and not worry about missing anything. And I can like make my own snacks and have a drink. Yeah. See, I just I don't know. I I don't agree. But I also like I don't have a good argument against that level of comfort. Like I, I know for a fact my wife would agree with you. I just like it definitely depends on the person. movie. Like there are some movies, like I said, I do prefer seeing on the big screen, like the new TMNT. I really enjoyed, you know, granted that was a driving experience, but it's, it's the same deal. Like I yeah. do appreciate that, but for smaller movies, I do like the option to not have to go to a movie theater to watch them. Well, I, I think you could make an argument too that like, and you know, we're, we're recording this podcast on the weekend that the Marvels just came out and like by all accounts is tanking. Like I think... I feel so bad for that movie because I don't know if it's like I haven't read any reviews or anything. Yeah, I think it's all just Marvel fatigue. Yeah. And like, I don't know if anybody gave them a chance. Any movie that comes out, any Marvel movie that comes out now is going to be facing an extreme uphill battle. And it's been that way for the past, I don't know, however many months. I agree totally. I, I don't know that it's the movie itself's fault. It's just like the point I was trying to make is that like, I think back in the 2010s when those movies were really hot, like those were movies that. I don't want to say demanded a theater experience, but like it was so much better. Like I saw Age of Ultron in theaters and I'm so glad that I did. I saw Winter Soldier in theaters. I'm so glad that I did. I think it literally, because that franchise was so successful, it kind of souped up movie theaters in the eyes of, of average American audiences. And like the theater experience was a lot more important back then than it is now. Like, and then, you know, obviously there's still our Marvel movies coming out, but with less of them, it just feels like theaters are less important than they've ever been. So, you know, I don't know that, Certainly Inside Out 2 is not going to change that. <laughs> and like, it sounds like with how the Marvels is doing, it's not going to change that. It's just, I don't know how and when we come out of it, but that's that's a that's a bigger and broader point for another time. Inside Out 2 comes out June 14th, 2024. So this is on the summer movie schedule. Um, again, probably not going to see it in theaters. This might be a drive-in movie though. This is one I would go to the drive-in to see. If only because it'll be peak that's, drive-in season. That's what we saw the first one. Is that the drive-in? <laughs> I, I, I also saw the first one at a drive-in, incidentally. So... Maybe I just need to try and recreate the experience to whatever extent possible. Anyways, we're going to come back in just a moment to talk through a live action Legend of Zelda. We'll we'll get to that. But before we do that, I would be remiss if I did not shout out our fantastic Patreon producer, Mr. Stephen Keller. Stephen's been supporting us for a while on the show. As a result, he gets this producer shout out every week. He gets input into the weekly game segment, which once again this week is not being hosted by me because I lose always. Uh, He's also getting access, of course, to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and he gets the occasional guest spot on the show. Stephen gets all of these things as a night level subscriber on our Patreon. That's the highest of our three levels of subscriber support. There's also a squire level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and a page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment for all the details on any and all of those levels of support you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast say hi to us say hi to steven it's also a good time for me to shout out our twitter handles we have at ow lady six that's me of course we have at ow nerd bomber at ow tactic and our main show account at online warriors one reach out to us there with any questions about our patreon system and also with any questions or comments about what you've heard on this show either this episode or any past episode we're happy to have conversations with all of you about you know whatever so again thanks to steven for his support we'll take a short break now and come back to talk about the legend of zelda Welcome aboard to Vague Airlines. We're cruising here at uh, 40,000 feet. That might be too many feet, but what do I know? I'm not really an airplane. I'm a podcaster. 
Actually, I'm a co-podcaster. I'm the co-host of uh, several episodes of the Too Vague Podcast. If you haven't heard it, you're missing out. Check out the Too Vague Podcast. Any place podcasts do whatever they do. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned off the fastened seatbelt sign. For your continued safety, Too Vague Airlines requires that you keep your seatbelt fastened at all times while seated. But... While you're seated, you can tune into the Too Vague podcast, T-W-O-V-A-G-U-E, on your favorite podcast services, and enjoy the flight. All right, so as a segue into this topic, I read online recently that the wind, the Hollywood winds are blowing in the direction of video game movies replacing the mcu as like the current cinematic juggernaut first of all do you guys agree with that do you think that's a likely outcome i mean we, we've had you know mario obviously was an enormous deal do you think it's a harbinger of like what's to come because i don't know that i do i do think we're going to see more video game adaptations i don't think it's fair to call them like the next mcu juggernaut because the cool thing about dipping into these video game properties is that they're not connected <laughs> every sure. different video game property can kind of stand on its own like yeah maybe you'll get exhausted of video game property adaptations in general but all of the different adaptations that we've seen so far vary so drastically in terms of their tone and genre like somebody who is super into the last of us like who never played video games they, like you could just get a zombie fanatic who never played the game and is like oh this is a zombie show cool i'm right. in and somebody who's watching a zelda adaptation could be somebody who's into high fantasy like you don't need to have video game background you don't need to know the backstory and the nice thing too about it is that because there haven't been that many video game adaptations all of these ips are going to be good jumping in points for people who aren't familiar with them i i agree that's that's the beauty of, of this medium is i guarantee you there will be a slew of movies coming out based on video games that a slew of people will not even realize that there was a video game version of that that ever existed you're you're talking about you know obviously mario you mentioned the last of us we had sonic and sonic got a second movie i believe if i recall yep. yeah we also had uncharted and i believe uncharted 2 is on the books it's obviously not out yet but i do think it's happening based on what i can remember so like yeah that there's definitely an uptick and now we're hearing about the legend of zelda we've also had like i don't know if you count detective pikachu i guess you probably would but that was another one that semi-recently came out like it's it's definitely a trend i agree that it's not you know we're it's hard to compare it to the mcu and that it's not setting up a universe it just from a from a dollars and cents perspective it seems like studios are banking on this being quote unquote the next big thing I do think The Legend of Zelda, you know, I, I think there's a couple categories here. I think what you said about The Last of Us is definitely correct. And I think you could also say something about Uncharted in the sense that you might just want to see a movie about treasure hunting. You might just want to see a show about zombies and those would fit the bill and you could just go on not knowing that the video games even existed, right? With Mario, I would also say with Sonic, that's not as much the case. But if you're a kid... You might be like, oh, look at this colorful cartoon character. I've never played the game. I have no idea what the game even is, but I like Sonic and I like Mario because they're cute. Yeah, certainly possible. I think The Legend of Zelda definitely fits into, you know, if those two categories do exist, like I think it fits into the Last of Us Uncharted category of like, this could just be a high fantasy thing, right? So I, I do think it's a very smart idea. It's a very, it's an idea I should have, like, I should have seen this coming. 
seems very very straightforward especially again considering the success nintendo had with super mario like this is going to happen the obvious next question is do you see it being as financially successful as mario because i do think mario's audience kind of going back to what you were just saying like i think mario's audience skews younger and i think that is gonna that brings in more money for mario i don't know that legend of zelda is as successful but also it kind of comes down to a question of which franchise is a bigger deal legends of zelda i i i kind of see where you're going with this it does pull a more older crowd it is yeah in my opinion more successful than the mario franchise but again that's my opinion of where it's well it's not more successful. Obviously, the Mario franchise is more successful. Because Mario, the problem with, with these comparisons is, is Mario kind of has a diverse portfolio. They've really made sure to like put Mario in just about freaking everything. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's more pervasive, right? He's, Whereas I mean, when, when a new Zelda drops, it fucking drops. You know what I'm saying? I think I agree with Illegal here, though. Like... Mario, there have been a slew of Mario games that just dropped. Like Super Mario Wonder just came out and didn't that break some yeah. ridiculous record? Like I think Zelda is extremely popular, don't get me wrong, but I think to Illegal's point, Mario has that inherent like kids will want to see a Mario movie even if they don't play the games. Adults will want to see a Mario movie whereas when you're talking about Zelda, you've kind of unless you really skew it childishly, you're not going to pull in that kid movie theater goer yeah like, but, like and i think that's and here's the other thing though i think that's the key to the movie being successful is not trying to pull in that kid audience oh for sure but i just don't think I it's agree. gonna be yeah. as big of a money maker like i think it's gonna yes. pull in a bunch of cash but i don't think it's gonna reach the heights of mario yeah it's gonna be successful for them and yet yeah, i mean also we should go back to the fact that this is gonna be live action so like it's it doesn't even if it were animated the legend of zelda characters like link versus mario link does not have the cuteness factor that like mario has or toad has or various other characters Depends which has well okay <laughs> let's agree disagree but like live action obviously is trying to take things in a different direction they are not trying to be cute for all i know they're going to be trying to take themselves very seriously which you know i think could definitely work i'm very curious to see the vision you know like we've seen live action high fantasy We've seen a number of things kind of flop recently. Like the Wheel of Time came out and I think that kind of just didn't work. So I've given this a lot of thought on what elements of the franchise they need to leverage in order to be successful. So one thing that I want to mention about Link is he is the silent type. In all of the stories, he's almost never talking and it's Zelda is like tapping into him and like communicating, I guess, tele telepathically in various ways. And she's sort of this guiding light. And the other side of it is, like, not so much what Link's doing that makes the story so good, but really the lore of Hyrule. And so the two things that I think they need to do to be successful is they need to tap into that lore and the backstory behind everything. There's a lot of calamity. Those who've played the stories, they drop the word calamity like it's in every other goddamn sentence. The other side of it is they need to maintain that stoic, silent type he just needs to be the quiet, get the job done person. And that's it. Would Don't that, make it cute. Would that stick in a live action movie, though? Can you have a protagonist who really doesn't speak all that much? Master Chief. And then look in, the, look in the adaptation. Drive. I like Drive as a better example. Yeah, but that entire movie was more or less white. Like it was music based. And the whole time, though, and that, that's where it goes back into the. No, you're, the, thinking, of, you're, you're thinking of Baby Driver. 
Drive is a different movie. That's where it goes back to the way in which they they push him through the story. It's where he was the getaway driver. He's the one. With, well, no, that's again that's baby driver. <laughs> Drive is, uh, is Ryan Gosling. Gosling. It's okay. Gosling. Yeah, this was like way back. Like, admittedly, this was like over ten years ago that movie came out. But like, that's the one thing I remember about that movie is that he like doesn't talk and like he's the main character and like all sorts of stuff happens to him. I I do think it's possible. I think it's very challenging. I I don't disagree with you, Tactic, that it's a good idea and a good direction, but. I think it's very, very hard to execute. The The key way to do it would be to have that constant voice of Zelda in his ear. That's that's what, I mean, and I know the Master Chief adaptation was a bust, but the reason why the Master Chief adaptation worked is because he had Cortana in his ear, and they didn't execute Cortana well in the live-action Halo. And so if they do this I mean, well, they also completely changed Master right. Chief's character. They, uh, that's that, And, and we, go, we go back to you know, everything we ever talk ever, the Avatar, just stay faithful to what works and you will have a success. Okay, so now on a more fun note, I know there's a lot more characters in the Zelda franchise, but if you could fan cast your Link and Zelda, who would you choose? Ryan Gosling is at the height of his power. He's too old. He's too old. I mean, Link is like ostensibly a boy, right? Or does it depend on what they do? I think he's a he's a boy. Yeah. Zelda's a girl. No, no, sure. I mean, like, age-wise. Boy, that's a really good question. I just, before we get into this, I do want to make one comment about them staying true. It is important to note that Nintendo is investing their own money into this project, and so they have a vested interest to make sure that it stays true to the fan base. So I I think that is very important to mention. Jacob Tremblay, final answer on Link. 17 years old. He's the exact correct age, in my opinion. Zelda, I got no idea. He does have question. a good linkish face. I could see that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very possible. I just I googled him to make. Sure I was he, I was yeah, waiting for you to say look. just to piss nerd bomber off. Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> no, Timothy nah. Chalamet would not work. He's he's, he's the gangliness is too. He's too. He got too much gangles. I know Tom Holland is like a very common fan cast for for Link, and I don't think that. Like I don't, I don't think, think so. I, he could pull it off for sure, but I don't think it would be. A stoic character then it would be like a funnier adaptation not saying that tom holland can't play stoic characters because he can but i just don't think that would carry through if he played link well also i think i think tom holland he's kind of gotten his flowers elsewhere and he's got too much recognition like jacob tremblay he has we know he has the chops because of things like room and he was in the little mermaid but like people don't look at him and immediately know who he is and i think that's a good thing like I think that's what this needs. So yeah, I was gonna say pick. like Anya Taylor Joy could be a good Zelda, but she has too recognizable of a character, and she's already in the Mario universe. So like yeah, but again, that's animated. I I I think that might work. I think that's a that's a reasonable pick for for Zelda. I don't know what the popular fan casts are. Like you said, I I'm not sure. But or Kieran Shipka maybe if you want to. How old is she? She skews younger, right? What I wonder is you know what's the thing what's the thing that the little thing says when like is, he, is this the hey listen thing hey listen is that zelda where the thing talks to you it's really annoying and people complain about it all the time or am i thinking of a different franchise i don't recall what you're referring to hey, yeah hey listen it's navi when navi talks to you in zelda uh they always say hey listen and it annoys the crap out of people like i'm trying to think of things they can do that are like like do you think they're going to do like cheeky in jokes because, like, if they want, like, Mario obviously did that whatever at any opportunity it could, based on what I've heard. I haven't seen the movie. But Mario was a different environment. It was going for a different tone. If this tries to go serious, they have less opportunity to do that. 
And I don't, I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying they have to try to do that, but I guess that's what I'm thinking about right now is can they have their cake and eat it too? Do they want to get referential and cheeky in a quote unquote more serious environment and especially in a live action environment? I don't know what the answer to that is. So one of the other points, I can't remember if we mentioned this already, but Sony is also, you know, what are they producing and distributing this movie as well? And I'm trying to think of what Sony has done with their video game adaptations. And I feel like a lot of them have been cheekier. Well, right. Uncharted was certainly one of them. Uncharted, you know, I don't know that Uncharted was cheeky because Uncharted was like trying to kind of change a lot. Like they were, they made Nathan Drake super young. Like the one little in joke they pulled was was solely with the mustache at the end, which spoiler alert, but also it's like the big who cares point. So I don't know that they had an opportunity to go in jokey with anything and they didn't take it. They didn't want to take it. I just, I wonder if they, if things go a similar way with Legend of Zelda or if, I mean, there's so much to draw on, right? So they, if they wanted to make in jokes and do that kind of thing, get very referential, they certainly can. I don't know what else Sony has done video game wise besides Uncharted, but I'm sure I'm missing something. Help me. What was the racing show that we just watched on Peacock? Oh, uh, metal. Uh, metal. Yeah. yeah. Like that was very irreverent comedy, I guess. But yeah, that was, I mean, that was what they were going for, right? It was like this very irreverence, the perfect word. They didn't want to be taken seriously at all. My my only ask with this is don't cast Jason Momoa as, as Ganon. That's, that's like my only, only, my only ask. My only ask is uh, don't cast Chris Pratt. The man yeah, is everywhere. Those are, no, thank you. Those are both reasonable asks. We'll have to see. I think when I, you know, Ganondorf, again, I don't have any Legend of Zelda experience, but that seems like another opportunity for Jim Carrey to really do some stuff. But like, I don't know. Jim Carrey is not serious. Like if they want to go serious, they can't have him. I just like could picture Jim Carrey as Ganondorf, I guess is my point. Anyways, yeah, this has no release date. This is like super, super early. They basically just announced that they're doing it. And that's all the information we have besides like who's producing it, who's paying for it, which we've also already talked about. So be on the lookout for more Legend of Zelda live action details in the coming months. That brings us to What Are You Up To Wednesday? It's the part of the show where we talk about what we've been up to. And I know I went first last week. So this week I'm going to not go first. And I'm going to instead have Nerd Bomber go first because chivalry is not dead. So Nerd Bomber, over to you. So still playing Starfield, still in the thick of it. Don't really have a whole lot new to report there. Just pretty much in the thick of it, still going through it. We did watch a movie, though, last night called Theater Camp. And if you're not familiar with this, this is on Hulu. And the premise is that there's a theater camp in the Adirondacks and the founder goes into a coma. So her son, who is kind of like a finance pro vlogger guy and doesn't really understand theater or anything about the summer camp, takes it over and they're in dire financial straits. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It was very funny. Bring back the word irreverent. It was kind of like a, they said it was like filmed documentary style, but it wasn't really. And I don't know. It was just, it was very good. I don't want to give too much away. Not that there's a whole lot to give away, but you know, I don't want to give away like any of the joke or funny haha moments. But if you're interested in, you know, theater, acting, funny stuff at all, I would give it a shot. Cool, cool. Are you passing the baton? Yes, I am. I will take the baton from you. And I will mention a movie that my wife and I watched two nights ago, I believe it was. I kind of scroll on Netflix, one of those situations where we had put it on our Netflix watch list because it looked interesting. Probably put it on the watch list like a couple months ago and finally got around to watching it. A movie called, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly, Vivarium. V-I-V-A-R-I-U-M. Like aquarium, but with Viva at the front. This is a movie starring Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Imogen Poots, basically no one else. It came out in 2019. It's been on Netflix for quite a while. It is a horror mystery. Now, Nerd Bomber, let me just say, it's not overtly scary. It's one of those horror movies where like, it's characters get put... Here's what happens. 
they meet up with a real estate their young couple looking for a house they meet up with a real estate agent who says let's go look at this house in this neighborhood they drive to the neighborhood they follow the real real estate agent and they enter this neighborhood where all the houses look exactly the same it's like dystopian suburbia like they're all like these greenhouses that are all the exact same layout they drive to a house called number nine long story short the real estate agent leaves them there they try to leave the like neighborhood and they can't get out for cosmic reasons they can't escape the neighborhood so they're stuck in the house and long story short they get stuck raising a a child i don't want to get into more details than that but basically it's not there aren't really jump scares it's not what this movie is about it's more so cinema of the unsettling it was very good it, it's this is one of what those hidden of, gems what part of it is the unsettling part they had to raise a child ah! well i without getting into the details the child is weird it's not their child and also they're basically prisoners in this like housing development i don't want to give anything away There's a couple good things about it it's very well rated on rotten tomatoes it's also a movie that i would argue is an indie movie so like people don't really know about it it's kind of a hidden gem it's an hour and 37 minutes long and people who listen to the show on a regular basis know that i love movies that are less than two hours and we need more movies that are less than two hours this is no exception to that so i think you could do far worse i wish i had watched it around spooky season like it felt a little weird watching it was when spooky season was over but it was definitely enjoyable so wanted to shout that out and then i also wanted to say because i don't think i had finished last week i finished alan wake yeah i'm gonna play alan wake too there's a hundred percent chance of that it's just a matter of when the story i will say i didn't love the ending of of alan wake one the story was decent the gameplay was good as as repetitive as the combat was the combat was always satisfying that never changed the i'm a big fan of finding collectible items kind of just to find them as like a task and this game really drives that point home i thought that was great so i liked alan wake remastered especially if you can get it for like 10 bucks it's definitely worth your time i've already mentioned on previous episodes that like the rem- the quality of the remaster is not the best but if you're not paying too much for it you probably won't care it's basically a playable movie just enjoy it for what it is and yeah i'm moving on now i did install god of war on my ps5 but i have oh boy started it oh boy i just wanted to let you know that it's 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 impending uh so more updates to come i'm so excited on, on that so yeah that's that's it for me i'll turn it over to tactic to finish this out here so i have a game recommendation for you if you haven't started one yet stop it it's spider man too shut your math <laughs> shut your mouth <laughs> i'm i'm shut your math i'm not gonna be playing spider-man 2 because i'm not going to be paying the like 70 dollars for it quite yet guys i mean obviously i'm going to be playing spider-man 2 i just haven't yet i finished it and it was amazing it was the best spider-man story that they've made thus far i literally I, i i keep calling back to this one scene where i was stuck with my mouth fully agape it was it was pulls you in drops your pants down and like whew takes you for a ride my goodness was this good i really don't like that that turn of phrase that was horrifying (laughs) it was really good so after i finished spider-man i then moved to start playing metroid prime on the switch i'm starting i started it undocked mode and i don't remember i've always said that metroid should be a side scroller and I played this when I was younger and I don't remember not liking the first person view, like like not having a problem with it. And it just, I don't know if it's because it's on the small screen and it needs to be docked or if I just am no longer a first person shooter kind of person. I mean, most games and most shooting games I play, I do opt for the third party view. So I do have to figure that out. But right now it's sort of a 
continuing to collect data and really TBD. And still, as I said, Metroid should and always will be the best played as a side scroller. Nothing has tweaked well, just that a, opinion. We should just agree to disagree on that point. But let me ask you this, this follow up question. What what would you say is the last first person shooter you played in first person mode? Please processing. It's, it's been a long time is what I'm hearing. If you don't have an answer. Probably, okay. I'd probably like a Call of Duty, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. I, I don't go in for them a whole lot anymore myself. I think the last one I, because Returnal was third person. Callisto Protocol was third person. Dead Space was Even third Borderlands person. I play as third person. It's funny. I'm playing Starfield and it started me in third person and I was like, nope, first person I go. It's just a matter of preference. I mean, I, I think no, the it's most just, into... It's interesting to see how people prefer different things. I find that so interesting. I Like, there's got to be some kind of, like, study as to, like, why your preferences are the way that they are. I feel like it's just a super interesting, like, psychological thing. Guys, let me tell you That something. I don't have answers to, but there was a, I'm interested in. There was a point where Nerd Bomber wanted to do a spinoff video series of her studying a topic for a week and then presenting her findings on it specifically like science this could be topic one like i was interested in doing like i don't know scientific studies behind video games it was like but there's already a guy who does that it was like explaining papers in like 10 minutes or whatever the heck there's a guy who does it already like that ship has sailed there's a lot of video essays about video games online too that you can find that are a lot of them are very high quality kind of talking about things like that like why do some people prefer a first person like the last first person game like i i believe i picked up oh gosh what's the one that's like funky themed and it's by the dishonored people oh my gosh what is it called the one where you go you replay the same day over and over again i can't think of what it's called oh death loop death loop thank you that was the last first-person shooter that I played, and I didn't play it for very long, and I wound up putting it down. I like, for me, I think first-person shooters probably peaked at Destiny. Destiny was still probably the most into a first-person shooter I've been. It's either that or like the Call of Duty campaigns back when they were actually good. That's another thing that, as of this recording, I think Modern Warfare Three just came out, and all I've heard about it is that the campaign is awful and that the game was rushed to delivery and blah blah blah. It's another topic in and of itself. I want but, minimal stuff on my head, my heads-up display. That's it too much too much it's an stuff. interesting point of view I, I really do think it's like a like a distractions thing for me too many things on the display i need to zoom out and like focus but anyway well, i will say I, I i think for me again thinking about the games i tend to like i mean last of us is another example like the games i've liked the most have all been third person so maybe there's something to be said about like i've never been a big fps guy but like maybe i'm just not one at all maybe that's an important maybe that's more important to me when it comes to whether i like a game or not than i've come to realize so anyways that i appreciate that food for thought technique any other updates for us uh no that's it for now beauty well that brings us to my favorite time of the week it's the time where i further dig the hole that i'm digging for myself in quiz town i'm gonna just say to i believe i did forget to write i still have to go back and fix it but i was listening to previous episodes i think i did miss a week here somewhere I don't think it matters a whole lot, but Nerbomber is 12 and 10 for my records. Tectic is 11 and 10. I'm 9 and 16. Steven, 3 and 1. Uh, so it just keeps getting worse and worse for me. I think, I mean, given that there's no prize for the winner, I mean, you guys are obviously You know, I will pride, say it is really interesting, like the way that so this season that much started. Is cemented. I remember I went on a skid, like I don't think I won for almost like two months, but then things can change very quickly. You never know. I picked up nine wins like somewhere here i'm assuming it was in the early part of the year i was winning a lot and then i just started losing constantly like Maybe i think i posted a quiz once in the past like three months so it is it's very possible why don't you uh why don't you let me know what my chances are all right so this week's quiz is all about a plant family called the marantaceae family of plants 
Marantaceae. I had to look up how to pronounce that. What is a Marantaceae? So it is a family of plants that has a lot of species within it. That's actually our first question. Antarctic, you'll go first. How many species of plants are in the Marantaceae family? Can you give an example of what a Marantaceae is? We'll talk about this a little bit later, but like arrowroot. Um, there's a lot of like house plants. I, I wouldn't call them succulents per se, but like very hardy house plants that people have there. It's like a desert plant? No, it is a tropical plant. More of a tropical. I'm going to say 4,000. <laughs> This is exactly the kind of quiz. This is exactly the kind of quiz that I can win because it just seems like neither tactic or I know anything about what you're even talking about. You said four thousand. I mean, I like where your head's at because it is probable that she asked this question because it's a crazy number. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna undercut you. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna use my one. I'm gonna say fifty. That was well played. There are five hundred and thirty species of plants in the Marantaceae family. Obviously, tactic. I mean, come on. Do you even know your Marantaceae? <laughs> you know- did I pronounce it right? So like, <laughs> it felt weird even you, saying it. There's arrowroot. There's like water cannas. You also you keep saying arrowroot like oh, I know okay, what that is. Well, I have no idea. What that Google is. some pictures after after this. Google some pictures. Yeah. You'll see what it is. I think it sounds like do. I need more I plants in my house. That's that's what I'm hearing. All right. So as I mentioned, these are tropical plants. They're found in the American tropics, the Asian tropics, the African tropics. What percentage of these plants are found in the American tropics? Yeah, this is, again, just kind of tossing a number out there. I'm going to say it's low. I'm going to say lucky number 13, baby. 13%. I'm going to say it's 20%. All right, we got a tie game here. 80% or the majority of Marantaceae plants are found in the American tropics. Yeah, but I'm American. I've never heard of this word one time. Well, not necessarily like the United States of America. There's South America, all, all that jazz. America, there's multiple Americas. Oh, you got bamboozled. I, I accept the outcome. I don't know. I still don't even know what these plants are, so I'm not feeling that <laughs> bad about not knowing that that thing. So let's continue. All right. The hardy water canna is one of the plants in the Marantaceae family that thrives in water gardens, swamps, marshes, and ponds. What is its average maximum maximum growth height in inches? Ah, uh, yeah. The classic water canna. Canna. <laughs> yeah. The water canna. It's maximum height in inches? In inches. This is seven inches. It's got to be more than that. I mean, this. my guess is it's in swamps, but like I'm guessing most of it is actually underwater and you only see a little bit like an iceberg. I'm just going to double it and say 14 inches. All right. So Allele's back in the lead. They can grow up to four feet on average or Why 48 inches. inches. Well, to 48 so gives mission us accomplished. more nuance. Sweet. That's, that rules for me. That puts me in a good spot. All right, so now we're talking about the arrowroot. So the arrowroot, to, to get a little bit more, I've learned a lot about this plant species in the past few hours as I was putting this together. So you can actually eat a lot of the roots of these family of plants. They were actually harvested all around the world. You can eat the tubers, all that kind of jazz, you know, big harvesting plant in certain areas of the world. And arrowroot is a type of Marantasia plant that is starchy and can actually be used to make flour. What percentage of arrowroot flour is protein? What percentage of arrowroot flour? Well, of course I know a lot about arrowroot to begin with, so this should be pretty easy. Well, you're learning today. What percentage of arrowroot flour is protein? It's going to be extremely high because that's the point. 80, 80, 85%. 3%. All right. We're back to a tie game. It has 7.7% makeup of protein, and it is actually one of the higher carb flowers and starches that you can find so it's very hard high in carbohydrates and not good at diversifying the old dietary needs 
So because it's tie game, this fifth question effectively serves as our tiebreaker. I don't think has anybody used our plus one yet. It's still nope. Still fair no, game. He's he's in he's in a, he's in a good position right now. All right. So the Marantasia family of plants was named after Bartolomeo. I pronounced that terribly, but I'm trying to be Italian. Bartolomeo. Mew meow mio. I don't know, Maranta. I'm having having a great time. He was an Italian physician and botanist. (laughs) Sorry, the the meow got me. And botanist of the 16th century who is known for his contributions to plant taxonomy. In what year did he die? Can you repeat the question? There's a lot of giggles. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you Italian, don't say the name. <laughs> the Italian physician and botanist after which this family of plants was named was very well known in the 16th century for his contributions to plant taxonomy. In what year did he die? I can give you a little 1652. bit of 1652. Okay, well, she said the 16th century, which is the 1500s. So, so that I feel was like the you hint to, to kind busted. of give you a bound. But. I mean, he, he he said it already. So I'm just going to go to Jesus times. I'm just going to use my, my one and just say zero AD or whatever. And the legal takes it. He died in 1571. Bro, makes this, these numbers? 16th century and 1500? Come on. This is like yeah. daylight savings time. Because we're in the 21st century. Spring right ahead. That's how, that's how centuries work. Uh, I, I feel like I won on a technicality, which and the technicality being technic, not understanding centuries, but I will absolutely take the W to move to 10 and 16. I'm also going to drop, I want to live react here. I'm going to drop a picture of this plant. It's a very common house plant, this species in the chat. And I would just like you guys to, you know, take a gander and be like, oh, I kind of do know what that is. I mean, it looks like a plant I've probably seen before. But I've never not, seen not that like, before in my life. It's got like, it's... Got round leaves with stripes. Oh, it's a it's it's a it's a plant with leaves. It's a standard oh, okay. like house plant sort of deal. I'm not I'm not like overcome with recognition. Let me put it that way. <laughs> like it's I oh, sure it looks like a plant that I've probably seen before and not really even acknowledged. Uh, but now I know what the protein content of the the flower is. So that's that's fine. And by flower, I mean like F L O U R, not like the edible. Like it's not like a leaf sure. flower. I don't know. I'll take the W. And uh, I want to thank you for attempting to educate Tectic and I on, on herbology, I guess is what you would call this. So thank you. That does it for this episode of the Online Warriors podcast. We hope you had a good time hanging out with us, talking all things pop culture and what was it called? Man- Marantasi. I hope you learned something. I know I did. We encourage you to head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review there if you liked the show or if you didn't. Hit us up on Twitter at the handles we already mentioned and consider going over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash online warriors podcast, giving back to the show that you have been listening to and hopefully have enjoyed. We'll let you go now. Have a great week. Stay safe and keep on podcasting.